time to blow the trumpet in Zion. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel with Pastor Ray Greenlee. Today's broadcast is pre-recorded. Welcome. I welcome you today in the name of Jesus, in the name of our Father, and His Holy Spirit. Please go with me to Hebrews chapter 11, and I'll start at verse 6. Now, without faith, it is impossible to be well-pleasing to Him. It is necessary for the one coming to God to believe that He is, and to the one seeking Him, He becomes a rewarder. So again, without faith, meaning... God comes and he gives us a word, and we hear that word, and then we begin to respond to that word, and we begin to come under to what we've heard, okay? With that position, it says, if you've not taken that position of hearing what the Lord has said and responding and coming under it, then it's impossible to be well-pleasing to God. For one must believe that God is. You and I must believe that Jesus is the I am, that he says who he is, and that he's all things to us in whatever circumstance, and that for those who seek him out, he rewards us. I want to highlight for you a story from Luke chapter 18, and I'll read it just very quickly. And it came to pass while he drew near Jericho, a certain blind man was sitting by the road begging. And having heard the multitude going by, he was asking what this might be. Then they reported to him that Jesus the Nazarene is passing by. And he cried out, saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And the ones going before were rebuking him that he might be quiet. But he was crying out much more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Then Jesus stood still and commanded him to be led to him. And he, having come near, he questioned him, saying, What do you want that I may do for you? Then he said, Lord, that I might receive sight. And Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Now this blind man heard about this prophet. This prophet that was new to all Israel. And I'll tell you what this prophet stood and what he said. And after having unrolled the scroll, he found the place where it had been written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because of which he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to restore the ones having been broken in heart, to proclaim deliverance for the captives and and recovery of sight for the blind, to send forth the ones having been downtrodden with deliverance, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And after having rolled up the scroll and Having given it back to the attendant, he sat down, and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. 
Now he began to say to them, Today, this scripture stands fulfilled in your ears. And they were all amazed. Word went out that a Messiah is here. And I'm sure that even though this blind man, he couldn't follow Jesus, he heard. He heard that something was a stir. And he heard that this Messiah, that's supposed to come all the way back, is coming forth from the line of David. And so he hears that this Messiah can open up his eyes. And so he cries out, Lord, have mercy on me. And Jesus is true to, true to his word. He gave him his sight. And then he said that your faith has healed you. I look at this verse in Hebrews 11, and I said, Lord, yes, it's about me hearing and me coming under your, your word and me responding and me submitting my heart. But I know that it's not just about me coming to get from you. What do you want from us? What do I have to give to you in this walk of faith? And it says, now without faith, it is impossible to be well-pleasing to him. That's what Jesus wants. He wants a heart and a life. After having heard the word, and after having submitted to him in whatever way, that we come out being well-pleasing to him. That is something that when he takes a sniff of our lives, that is something that he can say, yes, I'm pleased. So remember today, as you listen to God's word, proclaimed here today, as he speaks to you in your quiet time, or wherever you are, our call is to respond to Jesus and to come under what we've heard in very concrete ways. But also know that in the end of that, he wants a life that is well-pleasing to him. And that's what we get to give to him. And it's not just about us taking. It's about us giving. And I urge you today, to just go and ask Jesus, Lord, what do you want from me? What can I give to you? You've been listening to my prayers saying, Lord, please do this. Please give me this. Now, now what can I give to you in this faith walk? And I know that you will reward me, but Lord, what's my reward to you? So what's your reward to Jesus today? What do you have to give him? What do you bear up to him in your heart? See, Bartholomew, when he received his sight, he followed Jesus. He gave him his life. And that's the most precious gift that you and I can do, is to give our hearts, our lives, our time, give everything to Jesus, because he is all. And I know that at the end of the day, when he looks down upon us and he says, yes, your sacrifice is well-pleasing to me, the way that you've walked, your faith walk today, and then he puts you on display. Now, I know that 
we think that we're not worthy. And we sit in places that we would not have chosen, but Jesus has chosen us to seat us in places that are places of honor before him. That we can sit and inherit promises by our walk and life of faith. That humbles my heart to know that he comes and he gives us promises that others have not yet seen or gotten. I encourage you today and all this week to keep seeking Jesus out, saying, Lord, how can I be well-pleasing to you? You know what I want, but I need to know what you want. Let that be the cry of your heart as you stretch for Jesus and nothing else. I welcome you today. May your ears and hearts be opened to the Lord Jesus. The message today is the rhema of God. The rhema of God. The mighty King, would you come and make plain to us your rhema? Would you breathe it into our hearts, into our spirits, that we would have the courage to follow you? Lord, thank you. I pray in your name. Amen. There are two words in the Greek for the word of God. They're translated everywhere in Scripture in the New Testament as word. But there are two Greek words, and it's important that we know the difference between these two Greek words. One is logos. In the beginning was the logos, the word. Usually in the New Testament, when logos is used, it has reference specifically to Jesus himself. Jesus is called the logos. The word logos is taken out of the Greek culture, where the word meant literally the creative idea behind the formation of everything in the physical realm. So the concept of a chair we've spoken of before, if, if you once have the creative concept of a chair, you can make a lazy boy, you can make a folding, you can make whatever you want and call it a chair. A picnic bench is a chair. So you have the concept of chair, and the Greek would call that conceptual logos, behind the creation of the physical realm. Jesus, the writer of the book of John, is saying, is the creative idea behind everything in the physical or spiritual realm. So in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. We're told in Hebrews 1, in Colossians 1, and in the Gospel of John, number one, that that creative power 
was Jesus Christ. In the beginning was Jesus. He wasn't called Jesus because the name Jesus is a name of redemption. And he was not yet the incarnate creation. So Jesus pre-existed all of eternity. There was never a time when Jesus did not exist. He created time. Okay. It's interesting to me that the most recent manifestation of telescopes just discovered thousands of galaxies that we as human beings had never imagined existed before. Well, the far stretches of eternity in space that we could barely begin to even comprehend the idea of, that was all created by Jesus Christ. And it is in him, in the Logos, that all things hold together. You understand the earth, today from science, is recognized as a giant machine. The earth is a giant electrical machine. It is protected from outer space. It is protected by a shield from the sun. And it's been astonishing to scientists to finally discover this magnificent machine. But it's Jesus who oils the machine, who created the machine, who keeps it hanging in space. The other word that is used in the Greek is rhema. Rhema. R-H-E-M-A. R-H-E-M-A. Now let me try to define what rhema is. It is the breathed word of God. It is the spoken word of God. Now because we live in a culture in a world that is under the dominion of darkness. Every breathed word of God into this wicked atmosphere is for the purpose of contradicting the powers of darkness. So every rhema word that is given will cause great trouble to those who receive it. Because the rhema word of God is literally the marching orders of God to contend with what the devil is creating in our culture. Now, if you begin to get a hold of that, you'll recognize that the devil is speaking all manner of words in our culture. He is breathing out his vileness in our culture. And we see it on every hand in the open adoration of violence and death. Yesterday afternoon, I went to Barnes & Noble to try to take a few minutes to write some thank you notes. 
I couldn't do it. I walked into Barnes & Noble, and there in front of me was a huge person shrouded in black, and on it a sign saying, free kisses. And everyone who came in was caught by that and turned toward it with smiles and laughter. Then a giant spider was hanging, probably so big around. A giant skull was sitting somewhere else. The symbols and signs of death were everywhere. Why? Tables all cleared. Because today is the day of the new Harry Potter novel. And they're getting ready to sell thousands of these at Barnes & Noble. This play has been put on stage in England, expecting that it will go to Broadway. Its acclaim has been tremendous. People jamming the theaters. Why? To see the curse on the evil child. The atmosphere was so toxic and so poisoned with demonic presence, I fled the store. I could not be there. It made me physically sick. Every breathed word of the devil is to destroy the sons and daughters of Adam and Eve. The breathed word of God is to destroy the devil's works. Now, if you don't understand, we're in a battle both for our soul and our physical bodies. But you see, the world has been flooded with the mundane and the unimportant to such a degree that we have a hard time determining reality from fantasy. I listened yesterday to a part of the news with great agitation as they spoke with serious tones about 16 people dying in a balloon accident. And the next moment, in equally serious tones, they spoke about the baseball game that was going on. Now, are 16 people being swept into darkness and a baseball game, are those of equal value in reality? Our culture says yes. The Lord God of heaven would say absolutely no. But fantasy and reality have been so blended that it's hard to see what's real and what's fantasy. As a kid at home on the farm, it was not hard to determine what was real and and what was fantasy. Working in the garden, hoeing the corn, hoeing the beans, harvesting that, bringing in the tomatoes, canning, 
That was all reality because if we didn't do it, we'd starve that winter. That was reality. If you want to eat, Dad said, you have to work. If you don't want to go to the garden and work, Ray, it's okay. You go do whatever you want to do all day. But this winter, there will be one day we will say, Raymond, you can't eat today. Because remember last summer, you were unwilling to go hoe the beans. I had no difficulty discerning between reality and fantasy. My dad's razor strap set a very clear edge. You do this, this is the punishment. You do that, this is the reward. I had a very clear sense of what was real and what was false. But in our culture today, where everything is acceptable, is it okay if uh, the Western Conference of the Methodist Church votes a bishop woman who is a lesbian? Is that all right? You understand that the preaching and teaching that I do in this congregation is out of the Methodist origin. It's Wesleyanism. Is it okay that major parts of of our fellowship have just voted in a lesbian bishop? No, that's not all right. That's fantasy land. That's the devil breathing into the church and accomplishing his desire. Well, is it okay that you would sit and spend great amounts of time in your your cell phone? How many of you have had one meal out of your cell phone? I have to tell you, my cell phone has not produced one thing for me to eat. Do you go to your cell phone to, to find food? Anybody here get your food out of Facebook? Now, fantasy land. It's digital fantasy with no redeeming value. We know now from social science, quote, unquote, that people who spend great amounts of time in Facebook have a harder time developing serious, intimate relationships with other people. It destroys a person's ability to be close to another person. Well, that sounds like something the devil would enjoy setting up, doesn't it? I shudder as I look at what's happening in the world as the devil is whispering his fantasy into our minds and our hearts that causes us to not understand that reality is food on the table, shelter over our head, fellowshipping with brothers and sisters, doing what God calls us to do. That's reality. 
The rest is fantasy. When we come to the rhema of God, rhema is the revelation of God to our hearts that calls us in direct conflict with the breathed word of the devil. It calls us to stand in opposition to what Satan is saying to our culture. I am counter-culture. And if you are a Christian, by the very definition of the word Christian, you are counter-culture. Because this culture is utterly filled with the darkness of Satan. So I'm not going to try to redeem culture. I'm going to try to redeem men and women from this wicked culture. Come out from them and be separate, the word of God says. So the rhema word of God is the call of God on your life to bring someone or something back into harmony with Jesus Christ. It is the setting of a man or woman against the wickedness of our culture. There was a day when I was younger, when men and women were all basically about the same. There was some craziness on the fringes. But basically, men and women were the same, and we shared some common values, Judeo-Christian values. It was understood that we were going to be honest with each other. It was understood that a man was good for his word. A common understanding that, that my dad did business on a handshake. He didn't need a paper, a contract. A man was as good as his word. And everybody knew if your word was any good. And if it wasn't, nobody would do business with you and you got ran out of town. That day's no longer here. So the rhema word comes. And that rhema word calls us into a war of spiritual conflict against the powers of darkness to bring forth the will of God. Now, if you look at Luke, the first chapter, let me read this for you. It's very familiar to all of you. It's little Mary as she is being spoken to by the angel Gabriel. Mary asked the angel, Since I'm a virgin, how will this be? And the angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, 
And she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. That's uh, Luke, the first chapter, verse 37. For nothing is impossible with God. Do you know what that word nothing is in the Greek? Rhema. Rhema. That passage, for nothing is impossible to God, is is absolutely true, and I don't question the truth of that passage. But let me give to you, please, a different translation. This is from the Lavender Bible. Again, in Luke, the first chapter, verse 37. For every rhema from God will absolutely not be without power for fulfillment. Literally, when God speaks a rhema word, a part of that rhema word is the power to accomplish that word. God will never call us to do something that he will not give us the power to do. So we have to be very clear what is the rhema word that is being spoken to us. And based on that rhema word, will we take the action that God is calling for us to take? I want to read for you a a quote that I received this last week from Thomas Merton. He was a Roman Catholic, but was a man who spent much time with the Lord. I've enjoyed his writings through the years. But let me share this. A listener sent this to me. He didn't say where it was from, and I couldn't find it. But let me read it for you. Thomas Merton writes, I can depend less and less on my own power and sense of direction as if I ever had any. But the Lord supports and guides me without my knowing how. More and more, apart from my own action and even in contradiction to it, That's the rhema word of God that he keeps breathing into us. As he breathes into us and calls us, enabling us to stand in opposition to the culture of vile wickedness and live righteous lives now. Now, when we go to And this is in way of review again, please. Romans 10, verse 17. Romans 10, 17. If you don't have this verse underlined and marked, you need it. It is a key Bible text for you to understand faith. 
As a result, the faith is out of hearing, and hearing is by the means of a rhema from God. That's the lavender translation. If you look at it in the NIV, it's very similar. Consequently, this is Romans 10, 17. Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word, the rhema of Christ. Okay, so... I wake up one morning and I say, you know what, my car is getting old and the, and the oil is leaking and I've just kind of had it. I'm going to stand by faith that God is going to give me a good deal at the car dealership today. And I know he's going he's to provide me with the car I need. And so I go down to the car dealership and I say, you know what, I need to get a car. And I'm saying in my heart, Lord, I have the faith. You'll get me a good deal on this car. So I negotiate with the salesman, and I finally decide on the car, and I walk out. Was that faith operating? No, that was human flesh operating. Had nothing to do with faith. There was no faith involved. Because I didn't go down to the car dealership with the breathed word of God saying, go buy that car, and here's how much you should pay for it. Now, as opposed to that, I'd been praying for some time about the house I was to rent. And I kept hearing, wait, wait. And the time was running out, and I was coming to the deadline. And I received a call. And this person said, Pastor, I've been praying about a house for you. I found it. Here's the address. Go look at it. I went to the Lord and I asked him and he said, yes, and here's how much you can pay for it. So I went and looked at the house. It was for sale, not for rent. I knocked on the door saying, is your house for rent or sale? He said, well, we tried to sell it and we couldn't get the money we needed. So it's for rent today if you'd like to rent it. Come on in. I went in and I talked with him. And when we were finished with the conversation, he told me how much he wanted for the house. I said, I'm sorry. I can only offer you this amount. And it was hundreds of dollars less than he was asking for. It was... 1300 dollars less than his mortgage payment that I was authorized to offer him. I offered him the amount. I said, "This is all the Lord will allow me to pay." He said, "No, impossible. I can't do it." We talked a few more minutes. I said, "Thank you very much for your time. I enjoyed meeting you. I hope that you find what you need. And I made my way to the front door. And before I got to the front door, he said, no, wait a minute. You're supposed to rent this house. I'll accept what you're offering. Well, now let me tell you the other side. 
I've been told to go somewhere and to pay this amount. And I get there and I find that it's not for sale at that amount. It's less than the amount I was told to pay. And you should see the face of the person when I say, I'm sorry, I cannot buy it at this price. I can't offer it any cheaper. That's rock bottom price. No, no, I'm sorry. The Lord told me to pay this amount. And they say, what? You're going to pay me more than I'm asking you? Yes. Remember, it goes both ways. God is not cheap. And sometimes he'll tell you to pay more than they're asking The rhema word of God comes and it's very specific and it's very direct and it tells you, do this and don't do that. And it sets you at odds with the culture. Faith comes not out of the human heart or out of human hoping. Faith arises out of that rhema word of God that sets you in opposition to the culture that you're a part of. And when we hear the rhema word of God and we begin to walk in that, God will do the most incredible things in your life. Some of it will be very unpleasant and some of it will be very pleasant. But just know the fight's on. Now, when we come to Hebrews, faith always, remember, is the basis for faith. And faith, then, is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith is the substance, the word substance meaning to remain under, hypostasis, to remain under. So faith is remaining under the authority and the control of the rhema word that we've heard that has set us in the direction in which we're going, where we say, I will absolutely trust and obey what the Lord has said to me. The rhema word comes from reading the scripture. If you don't read the scripture, you're not going to hear the rhema word. You're not going to get the rhema word out of Facebook. Or out of your cell phone. Or out of Pokemon Go. Not going to be a rhema word there. You're not going to get the rhema word out of the baseball game. Or some other fantasy of reality. You're going to get the rhema word of God out of reading the scripture, out of the prayer closet. And can I be really honest? I thought I had the rhema word of God only to be proven it was my own flesh. And this morning the Lord had me awaken very early, reviewing with me many steps I've made in the way of life 
and was revealing to me how many times I've made choices and decisions that I would have told you were straight from God and they were straight out of my own imagination. I would say that nine times out of ten, when you're sure you have the word of God, it's not the word of God. You've got to go back. You've got to wait. You've got to pray. You've got to humble your heart. You've got to be certain that this is the word of God. And then you probably need to fly it by some respected brothers and sisters to have them pray with you as well. Or you can be led astray so quickly by your own desires and your own flesh. Part of what I treasure in this body is the way we can speak one to another about the honest things of God. Stand up here and and share what's on our heart, what the victories are, what the defeats are. The church has to be a place where we can check the rhema word of God with each other. Now, if we look carefully at verse 3, I know I've shared this with you before, but I need to review it because if you don't understand Hebrews 11.3, you will not understand any of the rest of the book of Hebrews. Hebrews 11.3 is the key for understanding all of the book of Hebrews. In the NIV, it says, By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command. That is not being faithful to the actual Greek words. Let me give you the actual Greek words. By faith, that is, by the rhema word of God, we understand that the eons, or aeons, Ages, separated parts of time. We understand that the ages, not formed, literally were adjusted, were repaired. The ages were repaired or adjusted at God's command. The word command here is translated from rhema. At God's breathed word, he has entered into time and space and history, and he has breathed his rhema word into your heart or into others' hearts. And by the means of that breathing that word into your heart, he intends... If you will abide by that word he's speaking to you, he intends to repair or adjust some part of the wickedness of our culture to be reflective of his glory. Now, I don't know how that strikes you, but it's terrifying to me. It literally means in that case that not one of you sitting here Not Josh, not Christina. Not one of you is in any way unimportant 
in the process God has set in place to restore his glory in this culture. You have a part because his word comes to every man and every woman. Now, the question is, can you exit the fantasy of the devil's wickedness long enough to hear the rhema word of God that will allow you to be used by the Holy Spirit to adjust the wickedness of our culture? It may be just in the office where you work. It may be in the government office you are employed in. It may be wherever you are. Will you allow yourself to hear the rhema word of God? Hey, guys, can we come sit down and get this food first, and then we'll come to that food later? Okay, we'll get to it. It smells awesome, and you've done a super job setting it up. And Amy said, I can't do that. She's done an awesome job. I I don't want you to be confused about what I'm saying. I want you to get this. I don't want to have to come back every Sunday and say this for the next six weeks. I will if you don't get it. Okay, this is vital. God has such love and such compassion that he doesn't want one of you to not be involved in this process of countering the works of darkness in our families, in our culture, in our workplace. He wants you involved in the battle against this darkness. And you're involved as you catch the rhema word of God, and you then begin to act on that rhema word of God, you will cause all kinds of consternation in many different places. But the glorious righteousness of Jesus and the love of Jesus will begin to be evident in that place because of your testimony. It may just be the testimony of a wonderful smile and thank you. Do you know how unusual that is in our culture today? Please get this. By faith, Abel offered to God a more abundant sacrifice than Cain. He's not talking about a blood sacrifice. There was no blood sacrifice offered by Cain or Abel. He is talking about a more generous gift that Abel gave than Cain gave. Cain and Abel got the rhema word of God. Cain said, you're asking too much, God. Abel said, here it all is, Lord. I love you. We either will respond and cooperate with the rhema word of God that comes, or we will try to cut it back and cut it back and cut it back to fit our lifestyle. 
the rhema word of God that has come in my life does not fit my preferred lifestyle. I would rather not be spending every day preaching and teaching and being on the radio and... That's not my preferred lifestyle. My preferred lifestyle is to be out in the Rockies somewhere, panning for gold or some such thing. You know, it's time to retire. No, you're just getting started. It's taken you this long, Ray, just to grow up a little bit. Now finish growing up and get on with what I've told you to do. Okay. And my heart says, give it all to Jesus. That was Abel's message. It says that Abel's message is still speaking today. What's he saying? He's saying, separate reality and fantasy. Take the rhema word of God and give it all to Jesus. Be a part of changing this culture back into righteousness and love and peace and joy and all the gifts of the Spirit. Don't be a part of the battle and the fight and the the vile wickedness of our culture. Don't touch it. Don't touch it. Get out of Facebook. Get out of your cell phones. Get out of all the technology. It's not giving you any food. It's not serving any purpose. Get into Jesus and hear the word of God. And drop the things that are just nonsense in your life. Go after Jesus. The gospel in America is going to become increasingly contentious and difficult as we don't go along with abortion, as we don't go along and say yes, sir, to homosexuality, as, we not, as we're not willing to be inclusive and tolerant, as we draw lines and say, no, I will not go there, I will not participate in that, My heart and my soul belong to Jesus Christ, and I am sold out for him. You will become increasingly a target of the vileness of our culture. And people will think you are crazy, and you will lose friendships. Is that okay? You need to understand going in, this whole Christian deal is a battle where Jesus intends to totally destroy the works of darkness. He's not going to include them in his kingdom. Lord, would you send the rhema word with such power? Would you cause my heart to cast off everything that is of fantasy, that I would dwell in Reelsville, Lord, thank you. Lord, thank you. I pray in your holy name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel. Come visit us at nationalprayerchapel.com. 
Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, with great joy. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great Falling and to present you blame.